scary girl. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Of course, as soon as we... Oh, go ahead. I was like, of course, as soon as we started recording, I was like, I got a burp. (laughs) Oh, do it. I was trying. Now it's gone. Anyways, it's because you startled me by just jumping into the spiel. I wasn't ready. Well, because I was going to tell people, like, it's a weekly podcast where we get together and we talk about ghost stories, true crime, supernatural, paranormal, or just weird, eerie, spooky shit because it's our show. And not yours. But if you're new to the show, Sarah would tell you to start at the beginning anyway. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you here? A little bit. That's the name of the first episode. You would know that if you listened to it. Yes. You know what, though? I will say we've been getting a lot of new listeners. Shout out to our new listeners. And our new listeners always email me and they're like, I just I'm only a little bit into it. And most of them start at the beginning. So props to you guys. Don't worry, you'll lose them. (laughs) God damn it, Stephanie. (laughs) She's not wrong. You'll see our descent. We love it. Our descent from three stars to two stars. We love to see it. The first month when we were at five stars, when it was just Mary, Angela, your brother, your sister, and Christina listening. The only people that listened. And then we met Colleen. We did. Shout she out to Colleen. Her life. Shout out. We have a new Patreon subscriber. We do. So Carrie has also emailed, and I don't remember if I mentioned, she might have been our listener who emailed and was like, I'm still at the beginning and I'm getting caught up. And I was like, I don't know if I want to shout her out because it's going to be a long time until she listens to this episode. But yes, we've got a new Patreon supporter. Carrie, you'll be getting your things next next month month. in July. You mean a ghost fart. I did. I you said ghost dick. dick. I, I did, wish we were getting ghost dicks. I a ghost fart. I know. I don't have a ghost dick to send you. I don't either. We haven't gotten any, y'all. So step up the game. Step up. Step up your dick to game. The step up your ghost dick game. Step I was trying to make a like a step up, like dick getting hard. Step up hard. Step up your dick. Step up your dick. Stuck up your dick game. I feel like it went for a second. It sounded like you were saying stuff up your dick. Stuff up your dick. Stick up your dick. Stick up your dick. There's the episode. There's the title of this episode. Stick up your dick. Stick up your dick. You had something you were saving for the air. What are you going to talk about that you were saving? Yes. Um, I literally, as of today, which we record before we release the episodes, which is why I was like, I don't know if I'm going to mention it, but I feel good because I accepted it. I got my next project. I got my next role. Oh, I got yeah. another show. So That's I auditioned I auditioned for Eurydice. I told you I was auditioning for that. Yeah. Um, and I got, are you familiar with Eurydice at all? Uh, so no. there's like the lead girl. Her name's Eurydice. Um, right. Right. <laughs> and uh, she dies and she gets sent to the underworld. And in the underworld, she's met with her father, who doesn't remember her, a little demon child who's like the devil and then three stones who are sort of like the greek chorus for mary gerard like they're just sort of there the whole time Mm -hmm. and you've got yeah so it's the father the demon child there's big stone little stone and loud stone so i got cast and i got a rock so i'm one of the stones and i I was like which stone are you which stone do you think i am i don't know Large, what are my options? Large stone, little stone. Big stone, stone, little stone, loud stone. Loud stone. Yes. (laughs) Duh. 
without a doubt. Well, face stone wasn't an option. <laughs> right. It couldn't be face, so it might as well be loud as fuck. <laughs> yes. I got cast as loud stone. And I messaged Mary Angela, too. And I was like, I got, you know, I sent her the gif of Charlie Brown, which has been, I kind of knew I was going to get one of these parts. And so I was just sitting on the fact of being like, I got a rock. Uh, so I sent her the gif of like, I got my casting. And it was the Charlie Brown. I got a rock. And she was like... <laughs> She's, of course, super supportive. And she's like, oh, the rocks can totally steal. Or the stones, because they're called stones. The stones can steal the show. And I was like, yeah, well, guess which stone I was. And she said, if you're not Loudstone, I'm not seeing the play. (laughs) So I'm going to be Loudstone in the upcoming production of Eurydice at Allen's Lane. It like Mary Gerard. for that? So what they're doing is it's still going to be a part of Fringe Festival. All three weekends will be a part of Fringe Festival because Fringe is going into October. And they're doing, so far, knock on wood, if things keep going in the direction they're going, um, they're going to still have audience in the house, but it'll just be at half the audience size. So instead of fitting 80 people in the audience, there'll be 40 people. And then they'll just make sure that they space the tables because you're already sitting at tables at Allen's Lane. So if you just space it right, you're automatically six feet apart from everyone around you. And then they're going to live stream it. So they're going to offer a streaming option to be able to watch the show. And it's... uh, excuse me, it's either going to be a like suggested donation to watch pay what you can, or it's going to be like $5 mm-hmm. and you can live stream it. So that's the plan right now. And then if all else fails, we'll just live stream the whole thing. I was talking with the director because I went to college with her and she was like, if COVID gets in the way, I've got a really cool zoom performance audition or zoom performance idea. So I was like, all right. So I got that. I'm once again doing the show opener at Allen's Lane. Yeah, you are. Not much has changed. I'm just not the title character this time. I'm a rock. (laughs) I'm a rock. I'm a rock. I'm a loud rock. I'm going to serve rock hard face. Serve that rock hard face. See, I was trying to make some sort of joke about you um, being typecast as a stoner. <laughs> and a loud one to boot. <laughs> a loud stoner. Maybe that's what I'll make. Yeah, I was like, I've got to find a way to like whatever characteristic I decide to do with the loud stone. She's not just gonna be loud. I I read her as being just a big old bitch. I was like, oh, what are you doing here, you stupid bitch? So maybe I'll keep going in that direction. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I got a show, y'all. Yes, <laughs> finally I'm so for you. Yeah, it's not quite a job. Job, but I got a job ish. You know what? You did. You got a job. I did. So keep uh you'll you guys will hear more about it come July and August when I start plugging it, but it'll open the end of September. That's so exciting. Yes. Theater's coming back. It's happening. It's coming back. It's coming back and it's casting. It's, it's happening. It's so weird to think how long theater has been out of our lives right now. As theater, for us as theater people, you, a listener, might not be a theater person. True. But trust. When it's out of your life for a while, you're like, what's my purpose? What am I doing? Why am I here? It's weird because it's not like any other time when you're not in a show and your friends are all still in shows. So you're like, well, I'm not doing anything, but my friend is in a show, so I'm going to go So I'm going to go friend. support them. Right. And now, like, we're not in shows. None of our friends are in shows because shows aren't happening. Yep. Or so you're weird. doing, like, what we're doing, which we have a show coming up. 
A live show. Live stream show. <laughs> yes, I a mean, live stream show. You confused me. I was like, what am I I was like, we have a live stream show coming we up. We do, yes. Next week's episode is going to be a live streamed episode. That is going to be uh, this coming Tuesday, which is the 23rd of June. <laughs> it's the day after Sarah's birthday. It's the day after my birthday, y'all. I keep forgetting that my birthday is coming up. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, so there's um, so much going on. There's so much going on. So this is the last episode before Sarah's birthday. So happy birthday, Sarah. Thank you. But Sarah's birthday is Monday the 22nd, and then we are live streaming with Christina on yeah. the 23rd. Y'all Bring love back, Christina. Christina. She says there's updates with the Chris Hansen situation. There are. <laughs> and see, Sarah already knows. I Oh, I she got me into following. It. I follow the Uneasy on subreddit. I've been following oh, like her and I message on subreddit about it. I yeah, yeah I, know. I know. I haven't paid attention to it because I love it when she comes on and talks about it. So usually when she's here, like I'll read after she's talked to like catch up more. But yeah, yeah she's like there's a big deal going on and I was like, "Oh my god, that's when I asked you if you wouldn't have her on." Because it was like, Christina says there's breaking news. <laughs> Let's have her on. So she's going to be on on Tuesday, the 23rd. We're going to live stream from our Facebook again at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time. We get on at like 5.30. We like dick around until like 5.45. We probably start the show at 5.45. Yeah. Um, but like hop on and chat with us and we're going to live stream for you. And we're going to have breaking information from Christina. I can't wait. And it's a bom, week, bom, almost bom, a week bom. from now. It's a week from now that we're recording it. But I'm like, that means there's going to be even more shit. That's also our 110th episode. Oh my God. Which is crazy. That is crazy. It's crazy. Sarah, I know. crazy. And you know what else? With things starting to open up, that means we are getting closer and closer and closer to finally actually being able to do our live show. I know. I can't wait to do an actual live show. We have it, guys. We had it all planned, and then the Rona hit. I keep my inbox pretty slim and my personal emails, right? And I keep going through and, like, deleting stuff I don't need or, like, moving into another folder. And what keeps happening is I delete everything, and then I get down to the emails between me and people who work at bars trying to figure out where we're going to, like, do the show. And people just stop getting back to me. And I stopped emailing them because then Corona developed around the time that we were planning our live show. April 12th. So, like, I'll delete, 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 delete. And then it's, like, me and all these, like, event planners for bars. Like, hey! (laughs) We want to do a live live show. show. Right. So keep your ear to the ground. It will happen. In the meantime, catch us on your computer screens. How about that? How about that? All right. Uh, Are you ready, Sarah? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Are you ready, Stephanie? Uh, As I'll ever be. (laughs) Let's go for it. All right. Sarah. Stephanie. Leslie. Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? So am I going first? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I went first last week. Totally Shake, shake, shake it up. I'm going to talk about a place where I'm not really going to talk about the ghosts, Mm -hmm. but this place is definitely haunted AF. But But there's ghosts. There's pro- there's definitely ghosts, but this I'm not really going to talk about the ghosts. I'm going to talk about the history of the place. Okay. Um, because I couldn't really find a lot of details about the ghosts, and the history is, like, way more interesting. And the ghost stuff is more like people being like, yeah, whenever I'm there, I feel cold spots. He and said, she like, said, hearsay. 
Yeah, not a lot of, like, ghost-specific stuff, just, like, spooky, Mm -hmm. spooky, scary kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So... All right, hit me with it. Okay, so I'm talking about a place called Cheeseman Park in Denver, Colorado. Are you familiar? Did you say Cheeseman Park? Like, that's cheesy? I did say Cheeseman Park, um, but it's C-H-E-E-S-M-A-N. There's no second E. Well, there's a second E, but there's not a third E. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, It could be Cheeseman, but I like saying Cheeseman. Cheeseman. Cheeseman Park. So, uh, have you heard of Cheeseman Park? It's in Denver. No, I haven't. So, it's located in central Denver, southeast of downtown, and it has a, a long history. It's still there today, but the area now is like a very nice, like fancy, like gentrified kind of area. Like but people go has... and smoke their legal weed there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, moms with their strollers and their CBD pens. Yes, so, that's uh, my future. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about the, the history of this place. So originally in the late 19th century, so it would be the 1800s, the land that's now known as Cheeseman Park was Prospect Hill Cemetery, Ooh. which also included the land that is now the Denver Botanical Garden and Congress Park, which is further east. So the cemetery opened in 1858, and the first burial occurred the following year. And in 1872, the U.S. government determined that the property upon which the the cemetery sat was actually federal land, having been deeded to the government in 1860, of course, by a treaty with Native Americans. So, like, fuck the government. But the government then offered the land to the city of Denver, which purchased it for $200. That's a steal. And I want to say this is, like, 17 acres. Like, it's a lot of space. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, although today it's still mostly remembered as Mount Prospect Cemetery, in 1873 the cemetery's name was changed to the Denver City Cemetery. And it's had quite a few name changes over time. Uh, and mostly the park was split up by religion. So there was like a Roman Catholic section of the cemetery. Of course, a, you got to keep them separated. Right. A Jewish section. That of way the, the God knows where to go to get its respective people. Otherwise, they're going right? to take someone they shouldn't take. Right. <laughs> and then there was a segregated section, not for who you think. But for the Chinese, there is a segregated section for the Chinese at the south end of the park. Okay. Some sections were well maintained by family descendants or their organizations, but others were terribly neglected because a lot of the cemetery, a big chunk of it, honestly, was given to like vagrants or unclaimed bodies. Like it was because it was a city cemetery. Yeah. So kind of like uh, Washington Park in Philly, where they just sort of like had an area where they dumped them. Right. So um, now a lot of these did have headstones, like they were buried individually, but they were buried by the city. So they were like unclaimed people. And those people took up a big chunk of the cemetery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by the late 1880s, the cemetery was rarely used. Like people by that point weren't even like coming to visit. Because by then, the people who were in the cemetery, the people that were coming to visit them were also dead, right? (laughs) Yes. So they were in the cemetery waiting for someone to visit them. Right, and that's what happens a lot with cemeteries. After, like, a certain number of, like, decades, people don't really go there anymore because it's not really the people that were visiting them are also dead. 
So it was kind of becoming like an eyesore at the time. And they were just like, what do we do with this giant cemetery in the middle of Denver? And so they decided that they were going to do, they were going to move the bodies and they were going to turn it into a park. So I bet you a million dollars they didn't move those fucking bodies. Well, they They moved some of them. (laughs) So they They moved all of them but the Chinese. They reached out to a lot of the descendants of the people who were buried there. And a lot of, like, Jewish people came and claimed their people, Chinese people. A lot of their bodies got sent back to, like, homeland China, to their families. Hmm. Um, But there was a whole chunk that was, like, a massive part of the cemetery that people didn't know who the bodies belonged to. And they didn't have any next of kin. So they didn't really have anybody to ask, like, hey, do you want to claim this body of your like ancestor and do something with it because a lot of these bodies they were like who the fuck does it even belong to so they ain't got nobody families were given 90 days you're just gonna brush over that you're gonna ignore nobody. it <laughs> i know it was bad but come on it was all right it was all right so by the way i was put on to this story by my friend Vinay, who listens to our show she was like you should talk about this and she gave there was like a thing that had like three interesting stories on it but one of them was carl tanzler which you've already told the story already done right and it was this one and another one which i'm like the other one is interesting too but this one is like wacky which we love wacky right we do carl tanzler so, they were given 90 days to remove the bodies of their loved ones to other locations. Those who could afford this began to transfer the bodies to other cemeteries throughout the city and elsewhere. Due to the large number of graves in the Roman Catholic section off the east, Mayor Joseph E. Bates sold that, um, that set of the area to the Archdiocese, which was then named the Mount Calvary Cemetery. The Chinese section of the graveyard was given over to a large population of Chinese who lived in the Hop Alley district of Denver. Most of those bodies were removed and shipped to their homeland in China. Several years went by while the city waited for citizens to remove the remains of their families, but few did. Most of the people buried in the cemetery were vagrants, criminals, and paupers, which probably had a lot to do with why the majority of the bodies, more than 5,000, remained unclaimed. Unclaimed. In 1893, the city of Denver then awarded a contract to undertaker E.P. McGovern to remove the remains. This dude. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So, McGovern was to provide a fresh, quote-unquote, fresh coffin for each body and then transfer it to the Riverside Cemetery at the cost of $1.90 each. So, I think they were paying him by... The coffin. I don't think they were paying. Yeah. I don't know if they were paying by the coffin or by the body. Um, I think, no. They were paying by the body. Here we yeah, go. which is why it would make sense that I'm assuming he started doubling up people in coffins. Not exactly. Oh, my God. Did he eat them? No. The macabre oh, work began on March 14th, 1893. While an assorted audience of curiosity seekers and reporters came and went, for the first few days, the transfer was very orderly. However, the unscrupulous McGovern soon found a way to make an even larger profit on the contract. Rather than utilizing full-size coffins for adults, he used child-size caskets that were one foot by three and a half feet long. One source claims this was done at least partially because of coffin shortage caused by a mining accident in Utah. Hacking the bodies up, McGovern sometimes <gasps> used as many as three caskets just for one body. 
In their haste, body parts and bones were literally strewn everywhere in a disorganized mess. Their haste also allowed souvenir hunters and onlookers to help themselves to items from the caskets. Oh my god, people just taking bones? Yes. So it was cheaper for him to buy the kids' caskets caskets. than the grown-up caskets. And he was just chopping them up and filling the caskets and, like, sending them out. Yeah. That's crazy. And also, while people are watching, he's just like, no, no, this is just a trick. This is what we did. Everywhere does this in the industry. The Denver Republican newspaper ran a story breaking the news March 19th, which, mind you, he started working on March 14th. (laughs) So five days later. Because people were standing around watching him. They were like, we got to write this story on this. Right. They were like, well, um, let's watch a few more days first. Now so, let go write the story. March 19, 1893, the headline read, The Work of Ghouls. <laughs> the article described in detail McGovern's practice of hacking up what were sometimes intact remains of the dead and stuffing them into children-sized coffins. Oh, my god! The article partly described the scene. Into the first box, some bones were cavalierly tossed by a workman. He then pulled another box to the edge of the grave, and into this he tossed one bone, some earth, and a portion of a coffin. At this juncture, a man came along with a pot of paint and brush, and numbered and lettered two boxes already filled from the single grave. John E. Wood, the representative of the health department, also came up. When he saw the third box, he asked the man in the grave, what was it for? Oh, I guess there's another one in there, said the gravedigger, as he threw a shovel full of earth into the box. Mr. Wood looked into the grave, said, humph, and walked away. And walked away, the health inspector. Huh. Another shovel full of earth and some crumpled wood was then thrown into the box. The quote-unquote remains were disinfected, the lid fastened on, and the quote-unquote body of quote-unquote 274BH shipped to Riverside. Mayor Rogers canceled the contract and the city health commissioner began an investigation. Although numerous graves had not yet been reached and others sat exposed, a new contract for moving the bodies was never awarded. So what did they do? They just said, fuck it. They just said, fuck it. Let them lie. Let sleeping bodies lie. The city built a temporary wooden fence around the cemetery in 1894. Grading and leveling began for preparation for the park, though several of the open graves wouldn't be filled until 1902. What? What if, could you imagine a kid playing and tossing a ball (laughs) and the ball going in the grave and then all these kids standing around the open grave being like, I'm not going in to get it. Some people said on Reddit, like when I was looking for stories of people talking about ghosts and stuff and they just like mentioned cold spots. Some people said there are parts in the ground where like the, like they're like divots in the ground. Yeah. And they think it's from like collapsed coffins. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Finally, shrubs were planted and the holes were filled in where coffins were removed. Work was completed in 1907 without ever having moved the rest of the bodies. Yeah, that's where poltergeist hits. Like, have we learned nothing? No, we haven't. So over time, like, the park itself has transformed into multiple styles of park. But they straight up just built the park on top. And do they just totally ignore the fact that it used to be a cemetery? Is Are there any plaques or anything up? 
Um, no, all those heads, they move the headstones, but the bodies are there. Except in the sections where they, like, the section where they sold off, like, the Roman Catholic section. Yes. Like, little corners all around the park that used to be part of it, because it used to all be one big cemetery. Yes. There are little tiny cemeteries around it where they broke off sections and kept that as a cemetery. So they're like, here's the Catholic cemetery, we sold it to the church. Here was the Chinese cemetery, we, like, sent some bodies back to China. Here's the pet cemetery. The pet cemetery. Here's the Jewish cemetery. Like, we gave it to the synagogue. Like, the corners are there, but that big middle section, which was where all the, like, random ass bodies were done, that's just straight up a park now. And they're like, sorry. Like, um, it has an esplanade. It has, like, reflecting pools. Um, it's just a giant, big, beautiful park in the middle of Denver. And it's also, um, like the Denver Botanical Gardens are there. And, um, like I said, now the area is very, like, gentrified. There's a lot of LGBT-related uh, events that take place there. They do the Pride Fest Parade. It starts in that park and travels to the, the Civic Center Park near downtown. And they also do the AIDS Walk. Uh, around that park during hmm. September. Hmm. And they're so, marching in top of so dead people. Now it's just a like big beautiful park in the middle of Denver, but it it's used to be a big circle giant cemetery of and most of the bodies are still there. Circle of life and it's like Washington Park. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's just Only like us. it's like 20 acres. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger. And I, they're probably buried a little further below the ground than we've got at Washington Square Park. Where right, just Square, like Washington Square Park, they're like, yeah, they're just like a few two feet. feet. Under. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's if that's story. not haunted, it's definitely missing an opportunity. Right. And so I couldn't find any stories about like specific ghosts, just a lot of people talking about like certain areas where, you know, like, every time I run through this part of the park, I always feel cold spots. Like, always. I feel like it's so hard to try and substantiate any evidence of paranormal activity in an outdoor space. That's you why think? I'm like, Gettysburg is interesting, but there's just so... Well, there's so many, like, external Soldiers. sources and so many other things that it could be where I'm just yeah. like, I'm not going to believe that it's a ghost unless it's a woman running at me screaming and I see yeah. it. Like, I'm not going to believe it. If I hear a twig breaking, it's probably a chipmunk. Like, it's so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, when I hear stories about, like, ghosts outside and whatnot, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. That one's rough. That's crazy. So those ghosts are in the park getting stoned, watching the Pride Parade. Honestly, they're probably living their best afterlife. Probably. They're like, you know, I got burned here because this is just where they dumped a bunch of these bodies. But the gays came in and they gentrified the this gays came in and they really cleaned it up. you know what? Now the view is really nice. It's really nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah, Aww. that's it. Um, I find it really funny because unbeknownst to us, I feel like our stories are very similar. Ooh. In a to a degree, to a degree. And here we Sarah, are. Sarah, what are you talking Stephanie. about this week? Well, Stephanie, I'm not talking about a haunting at all. I'm actually talking about um I'm talking about like a village, a okay. piece of land to a degree. Okay. So I'm gonna segue into it though. Because I know that last week I told you about this new show I've been watching called Central Park. Yes. And Central Park, if you guys aren't watching, it's not just the 
the park in New York City. It's based on that. But Central Park is this new cartoon show by the makers of Bob's Burgers. So all the animation is the same, but this is a musical cartoon. So I the watched story... the first two episodes. You did? Oh, then you'll get my reference. Yay. Oh, the music is killer. The cast is loaded. I'm in love with the show. So in the opening sequence, Josh Gad, your narrator, sings the song Central Park. Central Park, built in 1857. And he's got a line in there that I latched onto because I didn't know this. And it's, uh, it used to be a village, but no one talks about that part. And I was like, I kind of got the feeling, especially from the picture, I was like, I got the feeling it was like low income people of color that the city was like, yeah, they can go somewhere else. Did you Google it? I told you. No, I didn't. But I I didn't Google it. But I know a lot about how that happened a lot in New York. So Robert Moses involved. That's what I'm talking about. I don't think so. I think other people, but he was um, a big like real estate like land developer who fucked over a lot of poor people no it wasn't an individual this was the city of new york um so yes we're going to talk about the village that used to be in central park until the city of new york decided to build central park Mm -hmm. and kick all of these people off their land yeah um so the place was called seneca village And it was a community predominantly of African-Americans, and most of them were landowners. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it began in 1825. So Central Park started in 1857, which I know Mm -hmm. because of that song. Just like I also know that we went to the moon in 1969, not in 1970, uh, which I learned from Even Stevens' song. Do you remember, did you ever watch that one? The musical episode? No, I just remember 1969 because I was always like, heh, 1969. She's got a whole musical number about it. Anyways, people who did see that episode are loving this. (laughs) Um, So in uh, 1825, uh, John and Elizabeth Whitehead subdivided their land into 200 lots and sold it. So they had all this land. Uh, it says what streets it was in between, but it was just sort of in a northwestern corner of what is now Central Park. So it was not the whole park. It was just a portion of it. Um, it was originally, we had Andrew Williams, who was a 25-year-old shoe shiner, bought the first three lots from John and Elizabeth for a whopping $125, which must have been nice. Uh, and then he was soon followed by an Epiphany Davis, who bought 12 lots, and then a church bought six lots. And then after that, more and more people began to buy, and the community began to grow. Yes. Um, by the 1830s, you had about 10 homes in the village in total. Uh, again, this was a community that was comprised two-thirds of African-American uh, people, and then you had probably a little under a third were Irish immigrants. And then you that had was going to be my guess. The other ones were the Irish. Yes. And then you had a teeny tiny little portion that were German immigrants. Mm-hmm. I'm going to segue off because even the Irish section was also separate. And the name for the Irish section, I was like, oh, fucking course. And it has nothing to do with potatoes before you get there. I just found it really funny. Um, so anyways... You had, the residents had gardens, they raised livestock, they fished in the nearby Hudson River, and overall they really created this entire little community uh, compound where they were living, growing, um, raising families together, even though it was only around for a short period of time. 
And by the 1850s, the village was comprised of 50 homes, three churches, and a school. And it was made up, again, of two-thirds of African Americans. I skipped my notes. So the village was allowed their residents an escape from the unhealthy and racist conditions that they dealt with in Manhattan, New York. So even though slavery slavery was abolished, as we all know, even in 2020, racism is still a huge, huge factor. And so having this little village allowed them the opportunity to be in the city, but be away from all of these unhealthy conditions and to live in an area. It also granted them the ability to buy their, purchase their own land, own land. and own yeah. where they live and be more spread out. So they not only got land that they own, but they had more space period they just weren't cramped they weren't in these unhealthy conditions and they were around in a a sense like-minded people so they're not having to worry about dealing with all of the racism while they're around because everyone in that village is in the same boat um it was an opportunity for them to live in an autonomous commune far from downtown new york and by 1855 which is right before it ended more than half of them did own their own homes A big reason why that was such a big deal is because since they were all landowners, they were allowed to vote. So in in 1821, when they were granted that, New York State required African-American men to own at least $250 in property and hold residency for up to three years to be able to vote. And in 1845, of the 100 black New Yorkers that were eligible to vote, 10 of them lived in Seneca Village. So 10% of that population lived in this village. And also let's remember that this was still only men were allowed, African-American men were allowed to vote. Yeah. So overall, the place was a wonderful piece of land. They had their village. They were set. Um, They found that in 1855, the census said that the village had 264 residents. And on average, all of the residents had lived there for 22 years. So like since they started it. Basically since they started it. Because overall, the city, the village only lived for 32 years. Trying to find my other portion about the nearby settlements. There we go. Um, So while Seneca Village was the largest settlement... Like I said, again, they had smaller areas surrounding it that were occupied mainly by the Irish and the German immigrants. And the Irish families were in an area called Pigtown, spelled just like it sounds, Pigtown. And that's because they were the ones who kept the hogs and the goats. And so they kept the Pigstown. They were in Pigtown. And then an additional 34 families, again, Irish, lived in areas between 7th and 8th Avenue. And then there was another settlement right nearby that they said is on the current site of Tavern on the Green, which is where Sawyer used to work. Yeah. So Sawyer used to work right by one of the little Irish immigrant settlements. Yeah. All of this sounds really nice, but obviously it all came to an end. Uh, In 1855 is when the city started working on getting everyone out of there. Um, in 18, during the early of 1850s is when the city began planning for a large municipal park. But in 1853, the New York legislature enacted a law that set aside 775 acres of land in Manhattan. And that was the section of land between 59th and 106th Street between 5th and 8th Avenues, which includes Seneca Village. 
The city acquired the land through eminent domain, eminent domain, which we all know about that, which is the law that allows the government to take private land for public use with the compensation paid to the landowner. There were roughly 1,600 inhabitants displaced throughout the area, and although landowners land were compensated, many argue that their land was undervalued oh, yeah, because no it was. Oh, yeah, no way they paid them as fair as much as they owed them. There's no nope, fucking way. not at all. But ultimately, all of the residents had to leave by the end of 1857. They definitely were not paid what they should have been. For instance, our guy who bought his first, Andrew Williams, the 25-year-old shoe shiner who bought his three lots for $125, he was paid only $2,335 for his house and his three lots, even though he had originally asked the government for $3,500. Yeah. So they were all, what they said was the Supreme Court said that as part of the tax assessment, the rev- residents were offered on average $700 for their property. Which is nowhere near what it should have been. Any of it was worth, right. But they kicked them all out. All of the inhabitants of the village were evicted in 1857, and all of the properties within Central Park were razed. The only institution from Seneca Village to survive was the All Angels Church, which is one of the three churches, which was relocated a couple blocks away, albeit with an entirely new congregation. So it was just the building. After that, it was ba- because it was raised, there wasn't much left. Yeah. Some traces of Seneca Village persisted in later years. Um, people were up, as people were, were uprooting trees at the corner of 85th Street and Central Park West in 1871, they came upon two coffins, both containing uh, people who lived from the village. And half a century later, a gardener named Gilhuli, not kidding, Gilhuli inadvertently found a graveyard from Seneca Village while turning soil in the same area. So they found a a burial site afterward. After that, you'll be able to find a little bit about it. Obviously, the Wikipedia is pretty extensive. And now in around the 1990s, they started doing archaeological excavations of the area to find more um, information and to find more about what life was like in the village while it was there. Uh, archaeologists from Columbia University and the City University of New York conducted a dig at the site. They found things like an iron tea kettle, a roasting pan. They found a beer bottle. Um, And throughout these, we've been able to piece together what we know of what life was like. But despite its short history of only 32 years, Seneca Village is understood as a tight-knit community that served as a stabilizing and empowering force in uncertain times until the white man came in and fucked it all up. Yeah, no fucking kidding. God, white people always be like that. They ruin everything. So (sighs) it used to be a village, but no one talks about that part. Dark chapter. It's central in our hearts. And that's the story of Seneca Village in Central Park. And I was today years old before I really knew that whole story. Yeah. It wasn't until hearing that tiny little blurb in that song that I was like, what's that about? I was like, I have a feeling it's going to be racist, but let me do some more research. And I was like, oh, my God, they all owned land like for 32 years. They had a nice little thing going. Yeah. And then, yeah, the white people came and fucked it all up. And the Irish lived in Pigstown. I'm like, I have so many feelings, but yeah, like that's fucked. I'm not surprised at all. I found this story and I was like, this is very relevant for the times. Yeah. And I, there's no ghosts. There's just, 
The ghost of awful past. Yes. Um, yeah, no, Robert Moses lived, like, you know, 50 years after that. He uh, was yeah. born in the 1880s, and he died in the 1980s. But he was, like, a big mogul. Um, like, he didn't really... I don't think he ever really ran for political office, Mm-hmm. But he, like, worked in, the like, city parks, and he had a lot of money in a lot of places, um, and also, like, was racist and did things to, like, when he of had course. the option of hurting fewer rich white people, or, and on multiple occasions, it was like, we can build this this way, and it'll affect, like, a few white people who have a lot of money, or we can do it this way, and we can displace a lot of poor black people. And he's, he's like, like oh, yeah, do it that way. People. Right. Every time. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was a real piece of fucking work. But, like, uh, I think one of the bridges, like, the Triborough Bridge was, like, one of his biggest, like, things that he's known for, but also, like, displaced a lot of poor black people. I'm just like, we've been saying this since, what, episode 50? It's just white men on their bullshit. White men on their bullshit. They ruin everything. They ruin everything. And we're been actively trying not to be complicit white women. Yeah, we feel guilty. <laughs> we are doing our, pi- our part to fight the white man. Yeah. We're trying. We're trying real hard. We're trying. We're um, trying. So, yeah, but that's my story. That's crazy. That's crazy. There's a little American history for you next time you're in Central Park. We talked a lot about displacement of, of poor people. My people That's, were dead and your people were alive. And your people displaced. were dead and, yeah, mine were alive and were still yep. displaced. So, <sighs> oh, this is a very displacing episode. This, I mean, we've talked about it. It's hard to be funny during Corona, like, <laughs> especially over death. And I, yeah, I was like, I feel like it was hard over Corona, but now with all of the racial tensions really coming to a head and things and, and things happening and the yes, movement happening, the political it's unrest. hard to be like, I want to make light of this because it's of such, it's a serious tragic. subject. <laughs> Where I'm so, like, I really, I really need another like farting poltergeist story just to help yeah. lighten things up. It needs to be a farting ghost. I really need a farting ghost. Oh man. All right. I've well, really only had the one. I hope in our attempts we've lightened your mood just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, remember, <laughs> ghosts might fart too. If you want to let us know how we've made your day and you don't have any money, you can email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. But if you do have a little money, buy some merch at deadtimestories.com and subscribe to our Patreon. We have $1, $5, and $15 tiers. The $1 tier, you get access to our Facebook group, which is a fucking trip and a half. It's so funny. Five dollars, you get I Seen It, which is a monthly thing of me describing a horror movie to Sarah, and it's ridiculous. And at fifteen dollars, because we just got a new subscriber at the giving us twenty dollars, we did. Even. Thank you, Carrie. Not to blow up your spot, Carrie, but you did that thing. But we're so, so thankful. At that level, you get a hand captured, handcrafted ghost fart made by me. Slash captured by me in a jar. I was like, it was captured by you. It's not Stephanie's fart. It's, in a bottle. It's a, gar- it's it's a ghost fart. fart. But I, yeah. I, she did the dirty work and got the fart. It's more like 
I don't know. I guess it's a replica is what I'm is what I'm going for. It's a replica of a ghost fart. Just like when you watch Unsolved Mysteries, which is on Amazon, and I've been watching it a little bit lately, and oh my god, I forgot how good it is. And my good. Uh, there are reenactments. So you're not seeing when it actually happened, but whenever possible, the people who actually had it happen to them participate in the reenactments. I thought we were saying that these were actual ghost farts. I thought they that's are, how we were selling you, them. I don't know. I never know how to sell them. I'm like, obviously they're not literal, but like, it's this is a ghost fart. It is a ghost and fart. And it's just like a jar and more like a little bottle. It's a vial. It's, it's like a, a vial. vial of farts. It's a ghost fart trapped in a vial. And a little piece of parchment that tells you who the ghost is. And it is actually really classy looking. It is, even though it's a fart in a jar. It's, it's, it's as classy looking as a fart in a jar could look. Honestly, guess. you're paying for two-star content. You're getting a number two fart in a jar. Okay? There you go. There you go. There you go. I love it. Uh, you haven't tuned and this of out course, yet. the best way that you can give us a big help without giving us your money is by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and talking about how great we are and telling your friends to do it. Yep. To subscribe and to leave a five-star review. Yes, both. Do both those things. Both. Um, oh my gosh, I have to go eat dinner because it's Tuesday and then I won't eat again until Wednesday dinner time, which is tomorrow. Yay! So, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead, Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 